welcome to Say That, podcast for your big questions to get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I'm not at all distracted by the fly that is buzzing around in the studio. <laughs> I have the fly swatter. It's poised. It's ready. And I'm... I'm there it is now! <laughs> I'm, I'm literally swatting as we're talking. As you catch us live in action as Glenn is swatting about his head. Like King Kong trying to <laughs> knock a plane out of the air. <laughs> also joining us, director like... of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. I celebrate the hunt. Yeah. <laughs> Jed's fine with it. The flies just land on him. He doesn't sure. care. So joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I've gotten a lot of joy already out of watching Glenn <laughs> chase down this fly. The thing about Glenn, dear listener, you may not know, is he's surprisingly very quick. Yeah. But he's also very still. That's right. So it's kind of an explosion of movement. That's right. And then back to the base. So yeah. it, it's, it's, it is quite a sight to behold. It's and basically a Captain Ahab situation at this point. <laughs> from hell's heart, he swats at thee. That's right. So uh, it's no... If his chest was a cannon, he would fire it upon the beast. That's correct. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's no surprise why a man of such uh, literate wisdom... And uh, fast twitch muscle fiber is uh, in high. The wisdom of him is in high demand. I have to declare another Glenn's been ripped off emergency. Oh, what? Lord. It may keeps remember. happening. You may remember a couple weeks back um, a, a quote from Glenn that it had really gotten a lot of traction and gone viral, as they might say. Uh, not gone venereal, as my dear mother once uh, misstated. Oh my <laughs> um, I just stole um, that. So that's, that's mine now. The... So that's not the term. I hope this thing goes venereal. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's well, this, that's not the term. Um, that's but, awesome. So uh, Glenn's gone viral with a, a quote about the summing up the story of the prodigal son that has been, uh, you know, it's been shared in many languages. It's been shared on yep. Huffington's Instagram. It's been shared. Uh, in, Someone, uh, enterprising person on Amazon made a wood carving of it. Yeah. All those were attributed to uh, Uncle Glenn, as he's known yeah. on the internet. Uh, then a couple weeks ago, we had a uh, Baptist church Yeah. Uh, both mangle the quote, but just <laughs> enough so it was clear who they were ripping off Yeah. and not attribute it. Correct. And now we've had what they might call in the world of national security... An escalation. Ooh. Wow. So uh, you... Is that if, when you don't have to take the stairs? Yep. Oh, cool. <laughs> an escalation can never break down. It can only become stairs. Nice. As the great theologian M. Hedberg once reminded yes, us. that's right. Um, so the thing about this is, if you're a younger person, I won't even say the name of the program because it wouldn't mean anything to you. So let me paint you this picture. It's Saturday morning. You're up. Maybe you're looking for cartoons. Maybe you're looking for college game day. You're flipping the channels. And you cross some very... A little too quaffed, very old to be on television, people just pumping you for money in Jesus' name. Yeah. They have a club. They want you to give money to it. You can find them in the club. Yes, they want to throw to their (laughs) own weird Christian news network, which they're hoping you flip by and see the CNN and don't uh, scan too quickly. So uh, these fine people... Lord. I've gotten in the Uncle Glenn quoting business. If you've heard of, if you've seen any Christian TV and have heard of any of them, this is that. Yep. They've also been doing this so long. I think I can say with a lot of confidence, if you remember the uh, 90s SNL sketch about the church lady, yeah. this is who they were basing <laughs> that on. That's right. Isn't that precious? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. They uh, apparently found this same quote. Uh, did not attribute it to me, and for nope. once, man, am I thankful. Yeah. Because they put it on their Facebook feed, and man, am I not down with these people. No? I mean, really not. No? I mean, you know that older Christian relative who, most of the time at this point, you've not engaged with enough of their stuff that the Facebook al- algorithm spares you? Yeah. But every once in a while, you see them share something, and you just go, Ugh. Yeah. Almost certainly they're sharing something from this organization. That's yeah. right. So I, so the, there I have several emotions happening simultaneously. Well, walk us through them. One would be, should I be thankful 
that they didn't put my name on it so that I'm not associated with this madness. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's, that's thing number one. Then there's, will someone see it on my Tumblr or on my Facebook or something and think that I ripped them off? Oh. In which case, I might not be able to survive the, just the wrongness of that moment. Um, also, here's another thought, and I'm just throwing this out there. You know, no bad ideas. Uh, this is a safe place. Uh, maybe burn something down. Mm. Uh, t- <laughs> TV tower, whatever. You know, just whatever it needs to be. I, sure. I don't know the, the ins and outs of that. Or the exact parameters of what constitutes arson, but you know, sure, you're thinking in an ar- arsonial direction. Yeah, you know, just, <laughs> just you're, you're thinking this might be the kind of issue that needs a cleansing it's, fire. Is it That's arson it. adjacent? Yeah, it, it could be for it's sure. Arsonish. Yeah, you know, I don't know the exact legal definitions. I'm no lawyer. Sure, absolutely. I'm just saying maybe something needs to burn down. Sure, sure. So I'm working through that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I, what, I, what I enjoy about the, the tracking the viral nature of this particular uh, thought is... It's, uh, excuse me, do you mean venereal? No, I, I certainly don't. <laughs> um, you don't want to track the venereal nature or something. That's something different. Um, but so, you know, we had... There was a, a circle this moved through when it was the quote it was. Yeah. And you can see the, the church, and that maybe there may not be patient zero of this. We don't want to put all this on them. The Baptist church that put it up. Again, there some wording was changed. It had the same form and the same main bits that you could tell, you know, what this was. But the the wording was mangled a little bit. Yeah. The uh the television show in question's version is word for word that mangled Baptist church version. Right. So you can tell they weren't going to the Uncle Glenn source on this. Uncle Glenn didn't re- isn't really on their radar with the the ministry and the poor people and the love and whatnot. But once some random suburban Baptist church puts it up and it gets a little traction, hey. then they come swooping in. So it's a it's a ripoff of a ripoff, a copy of a copy. It certainly seems that way. And here's as you point out, uh, the, these are the kind of people that couldn't stand to have a brother like me in the room. Period. And now somehow this is on their website where they're taking credit for it and trying to dip into people's pockets with it. Glenn, you remember in the 80s when all we had was the Xerox copy machine? Yeah. yeah. And somebody would Xerox a photograph, and uh-huh. then somebody would Xerox the Xerox copy of that photograph? Yeah, yeah. That's what we're left with here. Yes. Yeah. It's the ghost of your quote. Yeah, that's right. Do, do you fellas hear a church organ off, off in the distance? Do you, am I the only one who, I, who, no, who, who hears that? Maybe you're having some kind of flashback. Brothers and sisters, Uh-oh. welcome back. Oh, televangelist Jed is <laughs> oh, upon no. us. Welcome oh, back. Oh, this is bad. Make it stop. We are so blessed to welcome you back to mm. the Say That Gospel Hour. Oh, we Lord. have with is us... Is your suit and shirt somehow made out of different types of polyester? <laughs> well, now, we have with us today a Glenn Fitzgerald, and he is... He is the leader of something called Mission America, I think. No. But we are so <laughs> sure. blessed to have, a different movie, to have yeah. Glenn with us here today. Now, Glenn, I understand that you work with the naughty people. Where is that, this accent from? That must be such a challenge. <laughs> but you know what? Before we throw to you, I just I want to challenge our listeners to plant a seed of Right. Is there a secret Carolina I don't know about? <laughs> Reach deep into that pocket. I know you think there's nothing there, but with the Lord, there's always more in that pocket. Lord. Reach down in there and grab that secret wallet, the one you haven't told nobody about. Pull out that secret wallet and pull out that secret visa. Plant that seed of faith right now today. Right. Glenn, I'm so sorry. We are out of time. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, but thank you, brother. It is such a blessing to have right. you. Next time, we hope to hear all about your work with the naughty people. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Plant that seed of faith, brothers and sisters. <laughs> that was I, I, <laughs> that was okay. dark. I want to tell you an actual story of me being on a Christian TV thing. Now it's a different thing than the people who are perpetrating this. 
And they invited me to come on, and I'm like, I don't, you know, I just don't know, and this doesn't feel quite like it, and I'm not so sure. But I said, you know, I'll do it if I can meet with the host before the show, which is happens on a lot of these shows. You, you have just a brief interaction where you kind of touch base and, you know, kind of work out how you want the interview to go. So if if I can have a a, a pre show interview uh, with him, just real quick interaction, uh, express a few concerns, make sure we're we're all on the same page of what we want to do, because you know, some of the stuff uh, isn't on this channel isn't going in the direction I exactly want to go with this. And they, they said, sure, that sounds great. So I show up early the day of, um, and it's like, okay, we're five minutes of taping and you know, let's get you on the couch. I'm like, yeah, but I was, I was going to meet with dude. Uh, no, he's not available. I said, no, I saw him just go in this room. I'll follow him and we'll, we'll see. And no, no, you're not allowed to go in the room. I'm like, why, why couldn't I go into the room where he's, it's like a makeup room, Is that right? Where he, he keeps a statue of Bale? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they said, no, he, you're, he, he doesn't allow any visitors while he's in makeup. It took me, I'm embarrassed to admit, a, an unusually long period of time to realize <laughs> they're gluing his wig to his head and they don't want anyone uh, to see. Rug yep. City. So this is what we're talking about. No interview of any kind, no interaction at all. I mean, I am the camera's rolling. He turns to me and says, So tell me about your ministry. You tell me about the ministry. This is a true fact. He says out loud to the camera where people can hear it. It's been recorded. I hear about the amazing work that you're doing with people in the inner city. And I guess I never before thought of them as actual, you know, people. What? And the Why? actual thing this guy said on the air, I got home, My this is a while back, obviously, my answering machine was full of people saying, I have stopped giving money to this TV thing. I'm giving it to you now because I Amen. just understood something about life. Oh, no. Based on this. So in a weird way, it sort of worked out. I'm just hoping for a similar happening, happy ending here. Amen. I think we all are. And with that, we'll declare emergency off. All right. If you have a, no, we're not doing questions yet. We're going to the plug. Oh, smooth. At some point, apparently you may turn on, accidentally turn on the wrong television channel on a Sunday morning, searching for an NFL game and find this, these people's version of bridge basket. I would assume maybe something like that. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Bridge tabernacle. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they take some uh, songs from the Cabana Guru. Yeah. And, you know, that that kind of thing. Wow. And they, they really just put it out there into the world. But we're, the only original is Bridgebox. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Only a dollar a month. You can support what we're doing up here in Chicago. What Lee is doing down with the youth in Tennessee. Uh, we're still in the month of August where we are looking at the question of how do I learn to let go of the past, which is fantastic stuff. we got lots of great songs, sermons from Glenn and myself, Bible studies. All sorts of fantastic stuff. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right. Now we're going to jump to our first question. If you answer all the way to the end, I'll give you the ways to get in touch with us. Or you can scroll down into your episode description and click on the links down there. First question comes in anonymously and it says, Sometimes I get angry about things and it's like I just can't seem to let it go. I keep thinking about things over and over and I get more and more mad and I end up taking it out on everyone around me. I don't want to be that way and I can't just pretend that I don't care. So what should I do? And Glenn, I feel we've put you in the right mindset Yes. to answer the sometimes I'm angry at everything around me question. <laughs> yes. So where would we start off? Well, I can relate to this question, believe me. I mean, I, 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 I know you say I keep thinking about things over and over. The, the technical term for that is rehearsing the anger, mm. and I do that as good as anybody. I mean, you know, <laughs> but I think part of what happens with that is – you're trying to come up with the perfect withering comeback to the situation. Mm. You, someone says something. The jerk store. Yeah, exactly right. You know, <laughs> I'm going to go with jerk store. <laughs> you know, this idea of you're going to come up with a zinger and it's going to be like, dang, you know, you're, the other person's going to be devastated. They're going to be like, well, I guess. 
I've never been singed like that before. Uh, you've given me a lot to think about, you know, and that kind of, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So maybe it would help to get out, you know, away from the unreality of that, you know. Uh, and maybe it's about recognizing, am I trying to do something with anger, you know, and, and, and rehearsing the anger, or is this about control? You know, I want to control the situation by having a devastating comeback. I want to, I'm, I'm displeased because I'm not able to exercise a certain amount of control over what's happening. This person's acting in a way that I don't like, but I also can't make them stop. And for me, a lot of the anger and the frustration comes from that sense of being out of control. Yeah. Uh, and I think part of that, if first of all, if I can acknowledge that, I'm, I'm going to be a lot healthier. Second of all, I need to get in touch with the fact that God's in control and that I don't have to be. It's not my job to fix all these problems in the world. And that I can then focus on controlling myself and what I do and how I respond to things. Uh, trying to find a smart way out of this situation is a lot different from trying to rehearse a really devastating zinger that I'm putting on somebody. Uh, that's a better use of your mental energies. Uh, here's another thing, and I know this sounds a little odd, but it's really true. A whole lot of a good healthy Christian life is knowing what box to put things in. Mm. And by that I mean, here's a person that's being a jerk, but how do I explain that to myself? How do I categorize that? How do I characterize wow. it? You know, If this person's being a jerk, and I know that that's because they're going through a struggle, it just helps me put that in a box. It helps me to say... Okay, therefore, I should think when I'm, if the situation was reversed, I'd act the same way. It also helps me to think I need to be a little understanding, a little more patient, maybe cut a little extra slack. But it also helps me understand that the trouble that this person is going through, the problems that they're having, doesn't justify the jerky behavior either. So I can, I can suss all that out simply by figuring out what box this goes in, explaining to myself what this is that I'm looking at. Yeah. Uh, I think we have a tendency too often to not put things in the box well. We we say, this person's a jerk, and it's just because they're, they're a jerk, and I don't. they're just a jerk. And then we'll get Christian about it and say, oh, I shouldn't say he's a jerk. Well, wait a second. You're actively avoiding putting this in any kind of box. That's the problem. This this person is acting out because they just got turned down for a job and they might be going through a divorce. That's a box you can put that in. That that helps you to organize and understand that. So I yeah. think a, a big part of the Christian life is is figuring that out. And that means going deeper into the understanding and the investigation part of this and working it out. And anger is not going to take you there. Uh, so that's, you know, I think that'll give you a lot of peace, and that's what I want for you. Uh, then finally, I want you to ask this question. Is there a righteous way of expressing your anger in the moment? A righteous Amen. way of doing that? Because here's the funny thing is, you might find there is. Sure. And then if you're not doing that, what is what does that say, you know? Uh, are, are, that is to say, are you just repressing the anger and saying that's a godly choice at all times? That's not the case. There are times when God's angry. He understands you being angry. It's it's not going to be uh, 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 the smoothest thing or the most uplifting thing in the world, but there are times when the situation calls for someone to say, hey, dude, no, yeah, don't do that. That is not cool. Sure. Uh, it, it, Lee is sounding off there because he's parented children, and he recognizes <laughs> there are times where it's it's about saying, "Excuse me, no." Praise do, the Lord, hallelujah. Do, do I look angry? Yeah, because I'm angry because <laughs> of this. So don't because no. So. Uh, then the question is, if if there's a righteous response of uh, of you know confronting, putting your foot down, even if it is in anger in that moment, then ask the question: 
does it get better if I speak up a little sooner? Mm-hmm. Is there is there a moment that I maybe missed with this? And we're, we're not looking to criticize you. We're just looking to learn for next time. Can I speak up a little sooner? Then it, I'm less angry. It's less of a confrontation. And that's a, a, that's a holier way of dealing with it as opposed to just repressing it. I, that's a, all an excellent place to start. I think that's a great baseline for moving on here. And Leah, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think one of the important things, that, the many important things Glenn is driving us towards there, one is that one of the worst things you can do when you feel angry is sit around and um, just meditate on how angry you are. Yeah, that's really not going to help anything. So, what are some healthier alternatives on that? I, I got to be honest about this and say that I was not raised in a culture of knowing anything that is healthy to do with anger. Mm-hmm. Um, the culture that I was raised in was uh, you are fearful of confrontation. I never saw a, a a great example of how to have a difficult conversation with anybody. I saw people who were upset about things having conversations with other people about, you know, gossiping and judging and stuff like that about the people that they were upset with, and then bearing grudges for years and years and years and decades and decades. Um, so I, it's a very interesting thing that everything that would be healthy in a biblical understanding of how to have relationships and how to have conflict and how to have confrontation— None of these things were things I learned in my home. None of these things were things I learned in my culture. None of these things were things that I learned in my neighborhood. Um, This was not the kind of environment where we learned how to respect people, where we learned how to have confrontations and difficult conversations and really healthy relationships. It wasn't until I, I was around people who were extremely different from me in some very key ways that I learned that when you have to have a difficult conversation, pray about that thing and then go have it and have it as directly as you can with gentleness and respect. Um, say what needs to be said. If you have to make a confession, make it. If you, if you need to clear something up, clear it up. But the sooner you make that, the sooner you have that conversation, the cheaper it will be. These are things that I was not raised to understand. And as a result, um, all my natural stuff, all my natural kind of ways of dealing with, with anger and confusion and frustration and disappointment would be to talk about people with other folks. Um, th- this is a, the reason I bring all this up is that most of the folks who um, were raised in church were raised in environments and neighborhoods and families exactly like mine. You haven't seen healthy confrontation. You haven't seen healthy, respectful relationships. You haven't seen direct conversation about what's actually going on. Um, A couple of things that I've learned, um, you know, just walking with different kinds of folks, walking with different kinds of Christians, and honestly, getting to know the guys on on this show and, and in Mission USA is that the earlier you have a difficult conversation, the cheaper it is. The more directly you will face the person that you actually have a problem, a confusion, or a frustration with, the cheaper it is. The less you talk to other people about it, the cheaper it is. Everything that you cheat the system on this, the more expensive and more difficult those conversations get. The problem is, is that if you were in any way raised in the kind of culture, in the kind of in the kind of environment that I was, then what happens is, is you're afraid to talk to the person you have a problem with. You talk to everybody else, and you take out your natural emotions of anger or frustration or disappointment on anyone who's near. And that's not fair for anybody. It's not fair for you. It's not fair for them. It doesn't help the situation. It doesn't fix it in any way. What we need to learn how to do is have the respect for each other and have respect each other's dignity to be able to speak clearly uh, with gentleness and respect and directly with each other about the actual problems that we have. If we could learn how to do that, especially, I, I hate to say it this way, but it's actually true, in white culture, if we could learn how to do that, we're going to cut out a lot of anger spilling over and flooding its banks into other people's business. And we're going to get to the heart of the problem, and we're going to learn how to do it faster. 
if we can speak directly with gentleness and respect to exactly the person that we're having a struggle or frustration or disappointment with, then it's, it's counterculture to where the way we've been raised, but it's going to get us to where we want to be and faster. That's all excellent stuff. I think Lee is dead on about that. Jed, let me get you close out here. Um, so one of the things that all four of us have in, in common is we do a, at this point, fairly seen amount of work with addicts. Yeah. And uh, you and Glenn have been doing it for quite a long time. And I think this is, is one of the many ways in which uh, kind of the wider uh, Christian world may definitely have something to learn from people who are fighting addiction. And yeah. the idea of, um, I can't do what I immediately want to do with these negative emotions, but I can't ignore them either because that'll blow up later. What are some of those techniques that we might learn from our friends in recovery? Well, so I think one of the things that's interesting about anger, right, is there's all kinds of things you can be angry about, right? So you can you can be angry at big picture trends in your life. You know, I wasn't raised well. You can be angry at much more immediate things in your life. This guy at work was mean to me. You can be angry at societal ills. And all of those may well be justified, but what you can or can't do about any of those things varies pretty significantly. Like you can't go back and have a different childhood. Um, yeah. You could go punch the guy at work, but that's going to cause a bunch of problems of its own. Most people can't on their own do much about, you know, uh, a societal ill. So what do you do? I mean, it's one of the things where you, you got the anger. We don't want to deny it, but, we can't necessarily do much about all of this, so where where do we land? And for folks in addiction, this is a particular problem because the thing about an addictive mindset is, well, when I have an emotion I don't like, I just turn to my drug of choice, whether that's right. you know uh, uh, cocaine or or alcohol or whatever. I just I, if I don't want to feel these feelings anymore. Uh, I just use, and then that solves it. So what we're trying to do is we're a big part of addiction recovery is yes, we're not using that substance anymore, but we have to learn a new way to manage our emotions. It's really what a big, big part of it. And so how are we going to do that? So there's a thing called the serenity prayer. That's a very, very big deal in addiction recovery circles, but it definitely applies to what you've described here. And, And what it says is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Let me say that again. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's a simple prayer, but it's very, very profound in what it's describing. Because it's first of all acknowledging there's a lot of stuff I can't change. Right. There's a lot of stuff that I just, I don't have the ability to influence. And I need God to give me a sense of peace about those things. I need God to give me a peace that passes all understanding uh, as it regards those things. However, there are other things in my life that I can do something about. You know, this job that I'm working, I don't like it. And the people there are kind of awful. I can do something and I can work towards getting a different job and a better job, in a healthier environment. And, and I need to recognize that I'm not powerless. I actually do have the ability to do that, but I need courage in order to pursue those new things because everything new is scary, kind of by its definition. But critically, I need God to give me wisdom to be able to know which category things lie in because it's easy to get confused about that. But I think if we can get into a mode of asking God for all three of those things, again, that peace that passes all understanding, that serenity to deal with stuff that just is out of our control, and then that real godly courage, which is a godly virtue, to to make the changes that we can make and pursue the things we can pursue, and his wisdom to know the difference, we're really going to have a huge leg up and a huge step forward, not just in dealing with anger, but in dealing with a lot of negative emotions. But now I want to add a kind of a, a bonus thought, just as something to percolate on, because I don't know what you're angry about, but one thing that a lot of people are angry about right now, and, and pretty justifiably so, is the state of the world. I don't know if you've noticed, it's on fire. Jed, you just, you just gestured omnidir- omnidirectionally. Yeah, all of it. It's going really poorly. And I think it's easy to feel like, well, I can't, I can't do anything about, about any of this. And, and, and that makes me feel both frustrated and powerless, and I don't know what to do. Okay, so amongst the four of us, we know a wide range of people. And um, this is weird but true. 
every once in a blue moon, you might hear or see a story on the news of like positive societal change. You know, something you know, justice actually happened. Something good occurred. And every once in a while, we know the people involved in making that thing happen, which is weird. But but again, it 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 it, it does happen. And because we know the people, we know the backstory. And here's the backstory: people working really hard for a really long time in a very thankless way in order to yeah. get something good to happen in the world. That's how change happens. That's how positive change happens. So I want to add to you an addendum to the serenity prayer, if part of what you're angry about is the state of the world. God, grant me the vision to see things I could someday change and the mm. strength to remain on that path. You can make an impact on this world. You can make a bigger impact than you think you can if you're willing to be patient. If you're willing to receive strength from God one day at a time to keep walking on a journey that will lead to having a real and substantive impact on the world. If you're mad when you look at the state of the world, I don't blame you, and no one on the show blames you, but you're actually not as powerless as you think you are. God would be happy to use you to make this world a better place, but the thing we need to ask him for is that patience and that strength to persist and to walk, as has been put, a long obedience in the same direction to be a part of bringing God's kingdom here on earth. A fantastic place to leave that. We're going to jump to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I'm serious about being a Christian, but sometimes it seems like the whole world is working together to take me off my square. At every turn, there's someone making me mad, someone offering me something I shouldn't be doing, someone telling me I'll never make it, or someone backsliding and trying to take me with them. How am I supposed to react to all this? If God wanted me to live a good life, why did he put me in the middle of so many messed up situations? And another very, very good, very deep question. And Lee, where would we kick this one off? Yeah, I, I love this question. I, I Actually, there were two uh, questions in the midst of that question. One was, why would God leave me in the middle of a, of a place like this with so many temptations and problems and it's so jacked up and, and, and screwed up and I don't know what to do? And I have to be perfectly honest and say, I have no idea. I mean, I, I could make some guesses. I could tell you he wants to set you some challenges that are going to grow you. And, and I'm sure that some of that is true and everything. But I, I'm much more interested in your previous question, which is the question, how? How do I navigate all this? What am I supposed to do? Given the fact that God has put me in the middle of uh, of a world that is full of temptations and problems and struggles and everything... I'd love to talk all day long about that how question. I, I'm, I really suck at answering the why question. Um, why did God uh, set us in the middle of a situation so difficult and tempting and problematic and confusing and filled with doubts and, and questions, the whole thing? I have no idea. But as far as the how, that's where it gets interesting to me. How do we navigate this? How do we handle our emotions? How do we face uh, the temptations that we're in? I know for me, I, I, I love the, the idea of digging into the minutia of what is your situation? What are you facing? And how could we come up with some specific strategies for you to find some success? Um, I know for me, it's going to be a situation like in, in my life of making sure that, that, that I am honestly and truly clinging on to the hem of Jesus's robe. I mean, just, just reaching out for him and desperately asking him to help me in my prayer life. That I've got some people around me, that, that uh, people who know me, people who care about me, people who are helping me, people I can call out to, be vulnerable with, be honest with, all of that kind of stuff. It's what people in recovery call um, watching your people, places, things. Um, I, I want to get all of that stuff in, in, in place. But for you, I mean, you know, if you wanted to write us back and give us kind of some more specific things, I think the idea of really, really digging into this how part is the interesting thing. What is it that is really taking you off your square? What is it that is really pushing you over the edge? And how can we set up some specific strategies and tactics to keep you walking with the Lord on that thing? That to me is the interesting piece. I'm not really good at the why stuff. But I love to look at the how and to kind of dig in deep with all, all day with what does it mean to walk with the Lord? What does it mean to surround yourself with the right people? What does it mean to, to confront the, um, you know, the, the specific difficulties, specific struggles, 
specific temptations and problems with some actual workable tactics. I love that stuff. I think it's super interesting. And I know I, I can speak for all the guys on this podcast when I say, you email us back with some specifics. We'd love to come up with some tactics and strategies and help you walk through that together. Absolutely right. And Glenn, uh, the, obviously specifics are important to any situation to really get into the nitty gritty, but there's probably some generalities that are going to apply yeah. to a lot of situations people are feeling this way. And what might a couple of those be? Well, I think the first thing to look at if you're having, you know, a, a lot of people in your environment that are sort of dragging you down, taking you down the wrong path, giving you a lot of temptation, we, we want to start sifting and and sorting here a little bit. And let's ask this question. How many of these relationships are just toxic? And when I say toxic, here's what I mean by that. I mean where you are trying to do good to them and it is not working, and they are trying to do harm to your mental state, and it is working. <laughs> now, they they might say, hey, this is for your own good. You're a big, fat jerk. You, well, that's they're trying to harm your psychological condition. That's a toxic situation. This is a straight drain. That's the only thing happening here. You are not lifting them up. They're dragging you down. That's what I mean when I say toxic in that sense. It is actively making your life worse by intention and by design. Now, those people may not mean to be toxic. That's intent. That's, the, that's, that's us getting in their head and trying to work out what's happening there. I'm not psychic, neither are you. We, we can't get into that kind of department. Jed was signaling that he's a little bit psychic. I, that's not, <laughs> no. Uh, these are, uh, if these are toxic relationships... They need to either be completely eliminated from your life or on the far, far, far margins. There's some people that you just, maybe the Lord gives you a nudge. Maybe they're kind of close family or something where you feel like, I want to keep tabs with this person. I, I want to have, you know, leave, leave the lines of communication open. I basically can't be around them hardly at all. Uh, there are some people that you can say that with that, that have that toxic relationship with you. All the rest, they need to go. And they, you, people need to understand, look, I just, I don't have, no, I'm not coming to the family reunion. reunion. No, I'm not going to hang out with you guys where you're about to go. No, just no. Sorry, yeah. no. Well, why? What do you think you're better than us? It, basically, everyone thinks they're better than you. But no, that's not what it is. I'm just... I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do. You do you, do you I'm going to do me, that kind of thing. Um, here's the thing. Being a Christian, nobody told me that fellowship was an essential agreement, a, a ingredient mm. to that. People said, you got to pray. If you ain't praying, you ain't going to be a Christian of any kind. They said, read your Bible. If you don't read your Bible, you're not going to be any kind of Christian. You got to go to church. If you don't go to church, you, how, how Christian are you? Fellowship, if you get a chance. Here's the thing. In my mind, fellowship would be the top of that list. Here's why. Uh, first of all, I, I can do better. You know, you know the, 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 we talked about the book of Proverbs uh, actually last, uh, last week. Uh, but in that same chapter, it says, uh, you know, if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. And it's this idea of we tend to conform to the behavior of the people around us. It's just that simple. It, and, and life is easy. If you're around a lot of people moving in a smart, godly, uh, moral direction, and they're encouraging and they're positive towards you, man, is it a lot easier to be Christian. Amen. I mean, man, it gets really... If, you, if you're around a lot of negative people who are just dragging you down and putting their negativity on you and trying to tempt you, suddenly the same life becomes almost impossible to be Christian out of. So the big difference there is, is that fellowship factor. Uh, consider it essential to your walk. I, I've learned a lot about the Lord in prayer. I've learned a lot about the Lord in Scripture, but I've certainly learned as much, if not more, from other Christians, the way they work through things, the way they describe things, what they have learned, what they can pass on to me. That's the secret ingredient you're looking for. 
Finally, along those lines, you need to find your tribe. And when I say find your tribe, I mean find people who have a similar heart to to yours. And have some, maybe they've had, had similar struggles or what have you. But these are people who uh, see the world the way you see it, and they get you, they understand you. That's super important. It, it might feel almost selfish in a way, like I should learn to get along with a lot of really jerky, negative people. That's Christian. It's not. It's it, it really is it. Being around godly people and absorbing that—that's a Christian way of living your life. But having a, a a group of friends, the people that you can hang out with, that really get your passions, and that might be have to do with what where you're serving. If you're into youth ministry, find other youth pastors that you can hang out with, or youth leaders that you can interact with. You can express similar burdens. You can ex- express similar frustrations. You're maybe dealing with similar challenges with the young people and the culture and what's going on with it. Iron can really sharpen iron a great deal, but it's also, you know, I, I, I'll just tack this very, very quickly on the end. I had a really challenging ministry uh, a situation uh, in this past month or so, and it was, I'm in way over my head. I'm trying to deal with a, a you know, a, a struggle that someone else is having, and I'm trying to help them deal with that. And uh, I got the, basically the top guy in the world for dealing with that on the phone, which was great, and got the exact advice that I needed on it, and it was just, you know, a hundred pounds came off of me, just the relief of that. And I had to tell him at the end, I said, you've given me great advice, but to be honest with you, it was as impactful just that you would take the time to talk with me and and just tell me I'm not crazy and where I could feel like, okay, I'm back on track and this guy gets me and all that kind of stuff. The power of having people who get you, that understand you, that can come alongside you when you have a struggle, man, that, that's an irreplaceable richness in mm. your life that I want for you. Absolutely right. I think that is a fantastic way to go on that. And Jed, I, I would love to tie what Glenn's telling us there uh, back to what Lee was saying, which I think is a very good, well-taken point of looking at the why. Mm. So there's some, there's some pure practical realities of you have to have fellowship. That's clearly, um, I have the notes of Wallace in front of here and uh, that's pretty much everybody wrote down. It's the things taking you off is squares, the, the people you are around and not being around that. But does that tie in a way back to some kind of answer? We're never going to fully know sure. the mind of God, but some kind of answer towards why did God put me in this whole screwed up situation if he wanted me to try to do something good? Yeah, yeah. I think it does tie back to the why. I mean, you know, full disclosure, uh, I don't know the mind of God, neither do you, so I can't tell you all of the why. But what I can tell you is something that Jesus said, which is that he came that you, specifically you, might have life and have it to the full. Mm. And a life where you're lonely and isolated is not a life to the full. A life where you're surrounded by people who don't get you and don't appreciate you is not a life to the full. Um, a life where you feel like you have to make everything go and it pretty much all depends on you is not a life to the full. A life where you don't depend on God for strength is not a life to the full. A life where you don't get to share victories with other people and and feel that sense of camaraderie and uh, working shoulder to shoulder, that that's not a life to the full. And the thing that I'm absolutely convinced of is God doesn't want you to miss out. Uh, God mm-hmm. wants you to have life to the full. But now here's the problem, is hardly anybody ever changed anything for purely positive reasons. Let me uh-huh. say it again. Hardly anyone ever changed anything for purely positive reasons. I can tell you right now, your life would be better if you rode a bicycle to work every day. Be better for your health, be better for the environment, be better for your <clears throat> pocketbook, be better for everything. Right. You're not thinking about riding your bike to work. No. I just told you it's better <laughs> for you. It's, it's still crazy. You're not going to do it, though. And neither am I. To be clear, no one, mm. no one's going to do it. Because that's actually not what spurs change in right. human beings. That's, that's true for all of us. People change things when it hurts. People change things when it gets uncomfortable. People change things when it's hard. They change things when they have to. And yeah. so 
And again, that's not just true in spirituality. That's true in everything. People don't change. They don't make changes unless it's pretty much forced on them because this is super hard and super uncomfortable. And because God loves you, because he doesn't want you to miss out, he's not against putting you in situations that are uncomfortable to drive you to make the changes that will lead to a better life. Um, It would actually be a cruelty to you to say, you know what? All of your isolation and a life that's just totally devoid of fellowship and togetherness, that's fine. I'll leave you there. I I won't make you change that. That would be cruel. I mean, that would be really mean to you. And God is not cruel and he's not mean. He loves you. So it's, you know what? We're going to crank up that pressure a little bit. And we're going to get you to the point where like, gosh, I, I got to change something. What, what should I change? And then all four of us say, fellowship, change that. Change the fellowship piece. <laughs> God loves you. He wants you to have a good life. He wants you to have a full life. Sometimes he turns up the heat to encourage us to make those changes that we need to make. To be clear. I'm not saying that all suffering of every kind is God trying to redirect you into something else. That's that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying sometimes when we encounter challenges in our spiritual life, and it's like, man, it's really hard for me to be a Christian. It's because there's a bigger, better, fuller life that God wants to get us onto, and he's helping us in that process. That's a really great point. I think the thing I'm tagging at the end of this is basically broadening out what Jed's saying there is there's a lot of thought and energy and anguish that can go into Christian's trying to figure out how can I stay in this awful, awful situation yep. and make it bearable. That could be a relationship. That could be a job uh, for the men and women of the bridge we work with. There's a lot of, I just need supernatural strength and courage and positivity so that I can keep living in this neighborhood with the same people I was hanging out with when I was heavily in my addiction. And isn't that what true holiness would be is getting those those tools to suffer through this awful, awful place. But as, as Jack was pointed out, a lot of times it is the easier answer, the smarter answer, the much uh the answer that God's trying to get you out of change something about this situation. <laughs> right, right, right. So again, and I, I, I my guess would be that our friend Earth question is, is kind of new to the whole Christian thing. So the idea and we talk about it a lot. There's there is the idea of being a light in the darkness. There's the idea of feeling a tug on your heart and putting up with some stuff to go to that, but that's not God wanting you to just live in abject misery. And, you know, we often make the, you know, the, often the analogy is made of, you know, you are God's child. If you're, if your child came to a parent and said, you know, every day I uh, stand at the spot by the, for the bus stop and this car comes by and runs into me. So I don't know. Can we get like, can we give me like a vest or something? Cause it's starting to bump me. Cause my knee be like, well, why don't you just move? That's a much simpler way to do that. So sometimes that's the, the message God is trying to convey to us, I believe, thoroughly. Okay, we'll move on to our final question here. It says, the Bible says that you just need to have the faith the size of a mustard seed and you can move mountains. But my faith exceeds that, and I'm still stuck when I know God can help me. What am I supposed to think about all that? And Jed, where do we start off with this? Well, let's turn to the Bible verse where this phrase comes from and, and see what it has to say. So I'm in Luke chapter 17. And I'm starting in verse 3, and this is Jesus talking. He says, If your brother or sister sins against you, tell them that they are wrong. Then, if they turn away from their sins, forgive them. Suppose they sin against you seven times in one day. And suppose they come back to you each time and say, I'm sorry. You must forgive them. Mm. The apostle said to the Lord, Give us more faith! Jesus replied, Suppose you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Then you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up, be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Or in elsewhere, you could say to this mountain, move into the sea, and it will, it will do that. All right, so that's um, this, this same phrase also appears in Matthew, but we're looking here at, at Luke. Okay, so let's examine that for a second. Here's the dynamic of what just happened. Jesus told the disciples and us, someone just told us something that no one wants to hear, which is, If people ask for forgiveness, you have to, have to, have to forgive them. You don't get a choice about this. They could do the same thing seven times in a row in one day and ask for your forgiveness, and you must forgive them. And I love the apostle's response, because it's the same response as mine, which was, what? That's insane. I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm not that Christian. Exactly right. 
Uh, and then Jesus talks about faith, the side of a mustard seed. So the dynamic we have here is God says there's a very hard, very challenging, and very specific thing that I am calling you to do that may be beyond your abilities, where like you'd have to trust in me in order to actually pull that off. What he's not saying is whatever dream you can dream, whatever big idea comes into your mind, you just go for it and I'll make it happen. He's not saying that at all. He's saying there's a very specific, difficult thing I'm calling you to do. I need you to do that thing. That's, that's what he's saying. So mm. the question for you is, what is the super hard, very specific thing God is calling you to do that requires faith? Then we can look at how much faith we need and whether we have that faith or not and how we get that faith. But when God called people throughout the Bible to do things, it was it tended to be pretty hard, tended to be pretty challenging, but it was also pretty specific. One of the yeah. earliest examples of this is God going to Abraham and saying, leave your country and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. That's a specific thing he's asking Abraham to do. He's not saying, just dream a big dream, bro. And just, you know, whatever, yeah. just, just go for it. Follow that, where your heart leads you. Exactly. That's a motivational speaker. That's not what we're talking about. God had a specific thing that he was calling Abraham to do, which was challenging and overwhelming and difficult and would definitely require faith. So you said in your question that you, you have faith. Well, that's great. Um, but you, you said that you're stuck. I think one of the things that might be kind of a hard challenge before you that might take some faith is finding a person in your real day-to-day -day life that you can talk to about the details of your situation. Um, if you're if you're stuck, it turns out there's there's all kinds of people who their job is to help others get unstuck. That includes social workers, that includes counselors and therapists and doctors. Um, they they want to help, but it can be really scary to reach out. And it can be really scary to walk in the door and it can be really scary to ask for help. That, that can be a, a frightening thing. And, and for some of us, that, that takes some faith to do. But if that's the next step that's before you in getting unstuck in your life, well, then that's where we need to focus our efforts of, of both receiving and putting that faith into practice. But again, yeah. this is not about just a magic spell. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying God's going to call me to do challenging but specific things in my life that he needs me to do that are going to require faith. And then we can look at what faith is, how we get it, and how we use it. Absolutely right. I think it's a fantastic place to start off. And Lee, I think um, as Jed's pointing us to there at the end, uh, understanding stuck the stuckness is going to really help our friend out. It's It's easy to think, well... I am stuck, therefore I just need more faith because faith is the magic thing that's going to make this go. But what role does uh, analysis play in this? Yeah, that is a great question because the the word stuck has the potential to just kind of, uh, you know, flood its banks and expand over the whole of my entire life. I'm stuck. Um, but what what we could really benefit from is understanding exactly what is it that God is calling me to do, exactly as Jed's saying. We're looking for some specificity. And what are my actual goals? The, the thing is, is that even big goals in my life are going to be breakdownable into little bitty steps. Um, and what can I actually do today? It might be that, that, that I've got some letters piling up for my mail that I need to open and answer, bills I need to pay and stuff like that today. Um, or I need to apply for a job and go in for an interview today. I need to sign up for some classes and make a first payment on, on a tuition payment plan today. Whatever those things are, I think that we could benefit greatly from understanding exactly where am I stuck. It's not that my entire life is on hold. It's that I have specific goals where I feel stuck, that, that I'm not meeting right now, and therefore I feel stuck in those. And almost assuredly, whatever those goals are, if we could isolate that and find out what it is, we could break that down into little steps, and there's something that I could do right now. In the midst of that, we want to join our prayer life to it. So one of the things that's really exciting to me about being in a relationship with the, with the living Lord is... In the midst of me making strategies and trying to confront my weaknesses and 
break down big goals into small, accomplishable daily deliverables, handing all of those things over to the Lord and watching him kind of uh, open little doors that I didn't expect in all of those steps. It's a really cool thing to look back, um, even if you were to write it down. What are my big goals? How could I break that down into little steps? What, is, what am I being called to do today? How can I accomplish that thing? So I'm getting more and more specific all the time, which is right in line with what Jed is saying. And then a month from now, looking back and, and looking back at what happened and the things that you prayed about and finding out exactly where Jesus answered that prayer. Um, I love the idea of me going after you know the specific goals setting those goals finding out what I can do today and then and also watching the lord work in that by you know kind of smoothing the way or or greasing the hinges or opening different doors so for my part I'd love to know exactly where do we feel stuck how can we you know categorize that or break that down or find a small daily deliverable, something we can actually do today, and then pair that with prayer. And, and let those two things join together, your own initiative, your own analysis, and the Lord's moving. And then a month from now, it would be really, really cool to look at how far we've come and how many times the Lord showed up. That's a great point. It's a great place to take that. And Glenn, I'd love to just close this out because I, I think... They're right. Our friend has self-diagnosed himself with faith uh, more than that of a mustard seed, right? which is is an interesting uh, comparison to the story Jed read us. When it comes to an understanding of what faith is and what role it has in this stuff, where do we start with that? Well, there's another uh, sort of key verse in uh, the Gospels where... As the, as the story goes, all the apostles and Jesus are in a boat. Jesus is sleeping. It's late at night, and they're rowing across this body of water. Or, and they've got the, you know, the sails up and the whole thing. And um, a storm comes out. No Coast Guard, no life preservers, no nothing. This is it. Uh, and they're in a position where they're trying to row back to shore, and they can't get to shore. It looks like this the these waves are big enough to completely sink this boat and they're they're freaking out as you would as i would and then they wake up jesus and say we're all freaking out uh would you mind waking up and freaking out with us because we find it a bit rude that you're sitting there uh taking life easy <laughs> if i recall correctly i love the exact line is don't you care that we're about to die right Exactly. Okay, here's the thing. Jesus wakes up, here's what he says to the people. Where's your faith? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. I wasn't in the boat, but I sort of, uh, uh, I, if I had I been in the boat, I would want to be the uh, spokesman for everyone because I would be able to explain the answer to that question, where's my faith, very quickly, very easily. I would be able to say, it blew away in this storm. It's back on shore. (laughs) I don't, nobody has this kind of faith. We have the kind of faith that will leave our our fishing nets and leave our families and follow you. We have the kind of faith where there's no money anywhere. We're not building kind of a consistency (laughs) here. We're just talking to poor people. Whoever started a movement of any significance where we talk to lepers and prostitutes. What are we even doing with this? No religious movement said, okay, first let's talk to the lepers. That you're the only one who's doing this. But we are on board. We're watching we're marching right behind you. We have no idea how we're going to feed all these people. You feed them. We're like, well, that's just confusing. But we're there. We're on board. We're the, we don't even know what to think half the time. So that's where our faith is. But this is a storm and we're all going to die. That's different. That's crazy. You can't ask for for me to believe when it's crazy. But here's what I think Jesus is trying to say. Faith is when you believe when it's crazy. That's what that word means. Uh, We have belief that allows us to act, uh, belief that uh, allows us to follow Jesus. 
a belief that uh, allows us to make changes and, and, and move forward boldly. Faith is when you have many active reasons not to believe and not to hang in and to throw in the towel, and that's it. Uh, that's when that's when faith begins to be faith. That's when it goes from belief into faith. Uh, I have been there before, and uh, where it gets crazy. And here's what happens: is I've I've talked to Jed about this before, but it's it I, I, the way I picture it is it's like a box that and you don't know what's inside the box. And then crazy happens, and you open the box, and you find out how much faith is in the box. Mm. You think you got a lot, because I'm going to church, and I'm reading my Bible, I'm acting real Christian all the time, and I got my sweater on and everything. Things get crazy, you open the, the box, and it's like, whoa, there's really not a lot of faith in here. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I can make it a couple of weeks, but then the crazy needs to get itself to better organize. You know. Does the crazy do that? No, it definitely doesn't. That's the whole point of the whole journey and the whole test that the Lord's got me on or whatever else it is. You know, uh, uh, Peter had the faith. He walked on the water. He's like, I-, I got enough faith for like, you know, to get out of the boat. He gets a few feet uh, uh, along the water. He looks around and says, this is crazy. And then he sinks, right. you know. So, uh that's the nature of faith. It, it's out. It's beyond reason. It's beyond logic. It's beyond, uh, you know, our normal sense of human tolerance. The, this person is right, as as, as Jed is uh, reading the Bible verse to immediately say, "Give us faith, Jesus." Because here's the thing: I don't have it. I don't have the kind of faith that allows me to be in a boat. We're about to go down, and just to be asleep and totally calm and zen about it. That does, I don't have that. Neither do you. Neither does anybody else. Because it's crazy. We have to go to God and receive that kind of faith. But here's the question I'm asking you about your situation. Is faith the thing that you need to have? In other words, okay, things are getting crazy. Things are getting bonkers. Things There's a struggle. There's a conflict. There's a problem. There's an issue and a circumstance. Okay. But do you know for sure what God's calling you to do? in that situation? Is he calling you to hang in there? Is he calling you to make a change? Is he calling you to get out of that situation? Whatever it is. Do you know for sure what that is? Or to, you know, to the degree that you can know? Because if you don't know, that's a wisdom problem, not a faith problem. Mm. And so often people come to me and say, I'm trying to have faith without figuring out whether I should even be in this or not. Well, okay, so if you're in the wrong thing, making the wrong choice, and you're saying, God, give me faith to hang in there, he's not going to give you faith to hang in there if he doesn't want you to hang in there. So that's not going to, this whole thing breaks down. So let's make sure wisdom, anytime we're talking about faith, we need to, at the exact same time, be talking about wisdom. Never one without the other. Always these two together, faith and wisdom. So let's make sure, and maybe you have, I'm just making, I'm double-checking that. Uh, in the end, we all have that belief. We all have that ability to 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 step out and to act and to uh, and, and and that is real and it's good. And you shouldn't discount that. You shouldn't say it's insufficient. But there comes a time when things really get crazy. You you're put to the test and you find out maybe I have a little bit of faith and maybe that ran out crazy fast because it was a crazy situation. That's where we go to God and say, God, I need faith in this moment. Absolutely right. I think um, the, the thing I'll tackle at the end of this is uh, you, you guys, if you heard a bonus episode we did about, about a month ago, you've heard a, uh, a little bit of our jail radio program. I was doing one of those recently on the idea of doubts, and which is obviously very tied into what we're talking about here. It's kind of the flip side. But I think this, the same uh, thing applies in that this idea of, you know, I it says you have to have this, the faith inside of mustard seed is not really a challenge. It's more of a, as Glenn's pointing out, the description of the most faith uh, any of us are actually capable of. Say, if you had a faith, if you had the faith just the size of that seed, you could tell this mountain to get up and go move, and the mountain's not moving. So, what does that tell you about the amount of faith any of you have? But this idea that there will come this moment—we've been talking about some of this recently in our, our ministry—of the, the purity of intention and just something is all good, kind of like Jed was saying. You know, no one makes a a change for entirely good reasons. We have to. 
part of growing in a real walk with the Lord is getting comfortable with the own kind of muddled and conflicted things you're feeling and doing. This idea of, you know, I have the faith, but I'm still stuck. Welcome, friend. That's the way we all feel all the time. Right, yeah. uh, as, as Glenn's saying, you know, you have faith and you run out of faith and you don't have quite as much faith as you need. And you feel like you, your faith led you away on that one. I mean, to, to me, a lot of it does come down to the, this, the story of the child in Mark where it's, I do believe, help my unbelief. Right. There's, you might see, see, there's a certain contradiction in that, but that's kind of the contradiction we all live in of, mm-hmm. I've got some faith. I don't have enough to do everything I need to do. So as, as Glenn points out, there's only one source of faith. So that's, again, as we talk about, you know, God's not looking to equip us so that we can just go run off and do all the amazing things and not need to come back to check in with him on these right. things. He wants to walk us alongside and be with us in that. And that is not a failing. That is a good thing and a blessing indeed. All right. If you have a question for us, say at podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com, or you can scroll down in your episode description to find those addresses. Hey, the song from the bridge loud this week. This is a very turned up take on the hymn. Love lifted me. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say that podcast so good. We'll blow your wig back. No matter how good you glue it down. (laughs) I was singing deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore.